Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host, Aryan. And I'm Ishwarya. And welcome to today's episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, we're a true crime podcast documenting crimes, mysteries, and killers from all over South Asia. Very often, politics oversaturates how we look at the world and how we think of it. The same is true with killers, kidnappings, and of course, political assassinations. Today's case is similar in that it has been polluted by politics for far too long. Very few know the actual story of what happened on 30th January 1948. This is the story of how the man who gave his life to the freedom of his nation died in the process of doing so. This is the story of the assassination of Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi. To all of you listeners from all over the world, a huge thank you from us for supporting the Desi Crime Podcast with your love, kind words, and um, money. We aren't going to lie. It takes time and money to produce these episodes. From research to quality equipment to hosting fees, there's a lot that goes into it. Which is why we started a Desi Crime Patreon for our listeners to support us financially. The link is patreon.com slash desicrime. If you decide to become a patron, you'll get access to extra episodes, discount on merch, monthly patron-only Zoom calls with us, shout-outs, and so much more. Please find it in your heart to support a podcast run by two broke-ass college <laughs> students. We already have 18 wonderful patrons who'll be getting shout-outs at the end of this episode. 2nd October is the day all of us celebrate the life of a man who was a Mahatma for many, a great soul. Before writing the script for this episode, I'll admit Ashwara, I was nervous. Like every famous personality ever, Gandhiji has imperfections. Gandhi Jayanti, however, is not the time to delve in them. But then I was struck by another conundrum. How the hell do I write about a political assassination without being political? When people listen to a true crime podcast, they often do so while cooking, running, while trying to sleep. And then our episodes freak them out and they're unable to sleep. That. But yeah, it is these times when people listen to podcasts to try and escape a world troubled with politics and problems. This is not to say political activism isn't important. It is. Very much so. And both of us participate in activism to some extent. But I don't want to entrust my politics on our listeners. Which is why I have tried my best in writing today's case, getting rid of politics, in telling you a story. The story of how extremists tried assassinating Mahatma Gandhi. Not once, not twice, not thrice, hell, not even four times. It took these assassins six attempts to kill the man they so vehemently hated. 
This story that we're talking about in today's episode didn't even start in 1948. It started much before India ever got its independence. It started 151 years ago on the same date as today. Today is Gandhi Jayanti Wall, the birth anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. It's one of only 3 national holidays of the country and a day that the United Nations has declared the International Day of Non-Violence in his honor. Gandhi ji wasn't just a man labeled the father of our nation for standing by ideals that sadly seem outdated to most today. He was a leader whose philosophy of non-violence inspired a generation of leaders from Martin Luther King Jr in US to Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Aryan, I can't explain to you the sense of pride I felt when I visited the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee last year. and right next to the entrance the very first statue in that three story building was that of mahatma gandhi <laughs> despite how many criticize him for some controversial opinions he held he undoubtedly united india 100 years ago and he unites india now every single year on his birthday the nation refrains from eating meat or drinking alcohol today the nation comes out on the streets decorates large statues of his and sings his favorite songs together Hundreds gather at Rajghat in the national capital and sit in silence in front of the site where he was cremated. India celebrates his legacy and so does the rest of the world. But while many knew what Mahatma Gandhi lived for, not many know why and how he died. And that is exactly what we are going to find on today's episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. Much of what you know about Gandhi's death may be centered around one name. Nathuram Godse Godse dominates the discussion whenever Gandhi is mentioned but upon further investigation you'll realize this went beyond Godse and beyond Gandhi himself upon returning to India from South Africa in 1915 Gandhi had already gained a reputation for being an Indian nationalist his dynamism and calm character immediately got him a following but in actuality What bolstered his support were his humble lifestyle and peaceful principles. The common folk, the one facing the whip of the colonizers, were able to connect with a man who dressed and lived like them, ate like them, and in the case of our Dalit brethren, ate with them. Therefore, in the early 1920s, Gandhi is seen as a man who lives what he preaches. However, Gandhi isn't the only nationalist. and he's not the only person responsible for the freedom struggle many came after him and many were already there before him one of them was veer savarkar savarkar was born in 1883 and at a very young age joined the freedom struggle although veer savarkar today is known for being the founder of hindutva and is cited by religious nationalists all too often he didn't start off like that in fact before savarkar ever led the hindu mahasabha He organized massive armed protests against the British Raj police and armed protests against the highly infamous Morlemento reforms. The British passed these acts in 1909 to limit the role Indians could play in the governance of India. Yes, the act allowed the British to tell Indians, "Um no, it is against our rules to let you rule yourself." <laughs> in the best British accent my brown ass could deliver. That was so bad. Moving on, The, the protesters were disbanded and a warrant was out for Savarkar. At the same time, 
Savarkar was also responsible for the demolition of mosques in his neighborhood, after which he claimed, quote, we vandalized the mosque to our heart's content. So for the sake of analyzing a historical figure without being overly political, this is what I'll say. Savarkar is not a perfect godlike leader that some try to portray him as. And neither is he an idiotic coward as some try to paint him. On one hand, Savarkar risked his life to end the caste system by allowing Dalits in Hindu temples. On the other, he pushed for a Hindu state devoid of Muslims. Like most historical characters, we cannot apply a unifocal lens to him. Some of his ideas are worth pondering over, and many deserve harsh criticism for being absolutely bigoted. The fact though remains, after the armed protest led by Veer Savarkar, in 1913, he was sentenced to 50 years in Kalapani, a dreaded jail in the Andamans. Apart from their religious philosophies, Gandhi and Savarkar differed on a fundamental issue of strategy. Gandhi, as the world knows today, as Martin Luther King Jr. himself espoused, was known for his belief in non-violent satyagraha, or peaceful non-cooperation. Veer Savarkar, on the other hand, believed a violent oppressor like the British needs to be defeated by violent means, and this stressed the importance of taking up arms. Despite these fundamental differences, in 1924, Mohandas Gandhi called for the release of Savarkar, a decision that just might cost him his life. Gandhi believed that even though both of them had different ideologies, that they shared the same goal, one of an independent India. Around this time, basically the 1920s, when Savarkar was partially released because his sentence at Kalapani wasn't completely spent there, he was sent back and was partially under house arrest. A teenager happened to join the freedom struggle in the same city where Savarkar was placed under quote-unquote house arrest. That city was Ratnagiri, a small town in Maharashtra. This young adolescent, who was so inspired to take up the Indian struggle of freedom, went by the name of Nathuram Godse. Even during Savarkar's partial house arrest, he was able to write articles, books, and spread his philosophies. Godse was a well-educated youngster who was incredibly keen on participating in India's freedom struggle. In fact, and ironically in fact, Godse was a staunch disciple of Gandhi during his teenage years, to the extent that Nathuram Godse referred to Mahatma Gandhi as his idol. All of this changes when Godse is taken under the wing of Savarkar in the late 1920s. From the age of 19, Godse had a fundamental change in principles and ideals. He starts to believe that Everything Gandhi believed, everything Gandhi supported is destroying India. In my research about Godse Ashwarya, I stumbled across an anecdote from his life that I was quite intrigued by. I don't know to what extent it influenced his psychology, but I will share it with our listeners nonetheless. Before his birth, Godse's parents had three sons and a daughter. But misfortune struck the Godse family. All of their sons died one after the other, tragically. The parents believed that the male children of this family were cursed. So they raised Godse as a girl. What? 
Until the birth of his baby brother, Godse was treated like a girl by his parents. He was dressed in skirts and was given a nose piercing. His name, in fact, Nathu Ram, comes from the nose ring he wore. Nut is a nose ring in Marathi. Therefore, Nathu Ram. Do you think such a childhood could have played any role in exacerbating or even to some extent determining his psychology that led him to do what he did? I think that deserves some merit at least. Uh, you know, when we try to look at the childhoods and upbringings of some of the people that commit the most dastardly acts in our society, we find they're all linked by this common thread of having peculiar upbringings, growing up in peculiar surroundings by peculiar parents who did things that, you know, fundamentally changed the way they grew up. So I have no idea how big of a role something like this could mm-hmm. play, but I think that definitely deserves to be speculated. Right, that's what I thought, which is why I thought, let's just put it out there. Well, now I have painted a picture for you as to what India looked like in the 1930s. Most Indians were against the British, but most were against each other too. While Gandhi led a non-violent movement to break the shackles the colonizers clamped us to, there was another faction that called Gandhi complacent and cowardly for doing so. This other faction believed freedom lay in taking up arms and physically fighting the oppressor. This other faction believed non-violence is merely a synonym for weakness. If for a second you can step into the shoes of Savarkar or even Godse, although I would highly recommend against that, can you see how they thought and truly believed Gandhi was leading the nation to disaster? They truly believe that, and it is this unquestioned and insurmountable belief in one's agenda that led to the first assassination attempt of many against Mahatma Gandhi in 1934. It is June 25th in 1934, and Gandhi is scheduled to give a speech at the Pune Corporation Auditorium. The auditorium is packed, as it would be anywhere in India if Gandhi is coming there. Gandhi is in a car on his way to the auditorium, and he's accompanied in another similar-looking car by the chief of police, other workers, and several other policemen, who too are travelling with him ahead of him. The car reaches the destination, and the welcoming party leaps to see and welcome the great Mahatma. As they are doing so, as they are welcoming Gandhi, a bomb was flinged towards the car, badly injuring everybody inside of it. The happiness of the assailant who threw the bomb intending to kill Gandhi, by the way, the the assailant was never found, that happiness, however, was short-lived. The bomb was thrown at the car carrying the chief of police and those other policemen. The other car in which Gandhiji was, a car similar looking, got caught up at a railway crossing. A train quite literally saved Gandhi's life. Since the other looked very similar, the welcoming party assumed Gandhi was in it, prompting the assailant to throw the bomb. The first attempt to assassinate failed, and Gandhi lived. Narahar Vishnu, another freedom fighter, in his autobiography recalls that while boarding the train on his way back, Mahatma Gandhi told him, quote, If they find the assailant, tell him I've forgiven him. Such was Gandhi's generosity. But being generous doesn't exactly stop assassins. 
The second attempt on Gandhi's life takes place in July of 1944. Gandhi is recovering from malaria in Panjgani when a group of 18 to 20 protesters show up shouting anti-Gandhi slogans. The leader of these anti-Gandhi protests in 1944, mind you, is Nathuram Godse. Gandhi is made aware of these protests taking place outside his ashram, even while recovering from malaria. He invites Godse in for a conversation. Godse declines. That very evening, it is prayer time. Throughout his life, Gandhi prayed with his followers unconditionally to all gods of the world in the evening. He read scriptures of the Bible, Quran, Guru Granth Sahib, Gita, and so many more. It was during one of these prayer sessions when Godse, dressed in a Nehru shirt in order to camouflage into the crowd, rushes towards Gandhi with a knife, a dagger-looking thing. He's almost about to stab Gandhi, but is suddenly overpowered by Mani Shankar Purohit, the owner of the ashram where Gandhi was recovering from malaria. This event shocked Gandhi's supporters. They wanted justice. The Kapoor Commission is set up as a consequence to investigate all claims and conspiracies surrounding Gandhi's assassination or any other assassination attempts. Godse is found guilty. Mind you, this is 1944 still. Instead, Gandhi ji offered him to spend 8 days with him in his ashram to understand what Godse had to say, to understand if they could reconcile their beliefs. Godse denies and Gandhi lets him go. First Gandhi demanded the release of his opposition Savarkar. Now he demanded the release of his assassin Godse. Nathuram goes free. Three months later, in September of 1944, another assassination attempt is foiled. Guess who led this attempt? Yep, yours truly, Nathuram Godse. As Gandhi was preparing to hold talks with Muhammad Jinnah, leader of the Muslim League, members of extremist groups. protested outside Gandhi's ashram in an attempt to create a blockade they didn't want Gandhi to meet Jinnah when the police arrived yet again they find a dagger on Godse and swords on several other protesters just 3 months after Gandhi forgave Godse Godse struck again and this time too Gandhi let him go isn't that crazy I mean I get why it can sound a little over the top to most people but you know that's kind of what Gandhi was known for he was known for saying that if your enemy slaps you on one cheek show them the other that's exactly what made him stand out well my point being that doesn't exactly stop assassins and it did not stop Godse for sure lo and behold it is 1946 and 3 years have passed since the last attempt on Gandhi's life These three years didn't last long. In June of 1946, on his way to Pune, the train carrying Gandhi, known as the Gandhi Special, meets with an accident. But it wasn't so much so an accident. The train crashes into two big boulders, which the captain recalls were intentionally kept there. In a later report that the railways published. the intent to put those two big boulders in the middle of nowhere on train tracks was to derail the train in an attempt to assassinate gandhi the captain of the train had the wits to slow the train down before the impact which saved the life of so many including 
Mahatma Gandhi. On June 30th, that very year, speaking at a prayer meeting in Pune, Gandhi said, "By the grace of God, I have escaped from the jaws of death. I have not hurt anybody. I can't understand why there are so many attempts on my life. Yesterday's attempt too failed." And in a funny manner he then added, "I quote, I will not die yet. I aim to live till the age of 125." Nothing or nobody could stop Gandhi from seeing his beloved country gain independence. Four assassination attempts failed, and Gandhi lived to see August fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven, when India got her freedom from the colonial rule. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that that day was a step forward in the right direction. But Mahatma Gandhi believed we still had many steps to take. and that this was merely the first of many gandhi's next objective was hindu muslim unity a goal that suffered heavily due to the partition of india and pakistan his objective of hindu muslim unity also got him a lot of hostility from extremists of all sides of the religious and political spectrum new india independent india was dealing with issues herself finally and tough decisions had to be made the fifth assassination attempt took place on 20th january in 1948 almost 6 months after india got her independence a group of extremists had decided gandhi had to be eliminated for india to become a hindu state their plan was to murder gandhi during one of his prayer sessions Like I said before Gandhi held prayers every evening without fail so his movement was almost entirely predictable The leader of this group of extremists was yet again Nathuram Godse By this point Godse had gotten a name for himself as an ethno-nationalistic activist and contrary to what many people know today he did yield political power back then You know, Shwara. As a child, I was told by my mother, Godse was a crazy lunatic psychopath, like John Lennon's murderer or somebody, and that's the image <laughs> he concocted in my mind. But in fact, Godse was a very well-educated, well-spoken, politically powerful ideologue. And you know what? I think that makes it scarier than just a psychopath. Godse and the other extremists followed Gandhi to a park in New Delhi. on 20th january the plan is to throw a grenade to disperse the crowd and then shoot gandhi dead point blank the grenade is thrown a huge explosion scares people and is followed by a stampede and people are running away in all directions gandhi however doesn't move an inch and is in the ideal position to be shot but the person responsible for shooting gandhi does not shoot gandhi he loses the courage to do so for all the ideological extremist jargon gandhi's assassin is unable to fire a bullet into the father of his nation worried for their lives the entire group of assailants including godse run away to escape the police only one is caught the person that is caught confesses to his crimes and to the role godse played in all of this guess what the delhi police did with it they let him go 
And not only did they let him go, they did not send word out for Godse either. Once again, Godse is set free. Once again, Gandhi's assassin is given another opportunity. This time, Godse does not miss. Only 10 days later, on January 30th, 1948, India stands still. The day starts off as any other for Mahatma Gandhi. He wakes up at 3.30 in the morning to read the Bhagavad Gita. He then begins his duties for the day. Today was special in that he was reviewing the constitution that he helped write the day before. But Gandhi had just gotten out of a six-day fast and was way too tired. He entrusted the duties of that day to his personal secretary, Pyarelal. For lunch, he had boiled vegetables, milk, and tomato and orange soup. Over lunch, he talked about religious riots plaguing the country and how to resolve the Hindu-Muslim tensions. Right after lunch, on 30th January, that very day at 4pm, Gandhi meets with Prime Minister Nehru and Sardar Vallabhbhai Patel, both of whom, by the way, did not see eye to eye on several key issues. He discussed issues concerning India and international relations and where India was in the world. And these discussions continued for half an hour, but Gandhi had to cut it short. It was time for the evening prayer. Gandhi never missed that. And today was no different. But today was different. The recently released Naturam Godse was in the crowd, just like he was a few years back, waiting for Gandhi. Gandhi enters the prayer garden with his granddaughter Manuben and adopted daughter Ababen Chatterjee. As both of them are helping Gandhi climb the stairs, Ababen feels someone push her. It is a man she thought who was too eager to get Gandhi's blessings, as many are. But in fact, it was Nathuram Godse. He pushes Ababen again, bows in front of Gandhi, gesturing Namaste, takes out an Italian-made revolver smuggled from all across the world, from Africa, and fires three shots. That's the sound Ava Ben recalls in her memoirs. Mahatma Gandhi is shot thrice, in the chest, in the abdomen, and in the groin. The soul of the Mahatma is snatched away from him. As he is dying, the last thing he ever said was, Hey Rama, Hey Ram. Hi you guys, I hoped you liked the episode you just heard. I'm here to give a shout out to our 18 new patrons who've joined our Patreon family, contributed to the podcast and availed some awesome benefits with us. If you want to join as well, go to www.patreon.com slash desicrime and join. Our new patrons are Abhilasha, Kavya, Yuvraj, Nupur, Prashant, Nandita, Ashutosh, Dakshita, Vijay, Pulkit, 
शुभांगी अंजलि शुभम एंड मनोतोष अ वेरी 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 बिग थैंक यू टू ऑल दीज एटीन पीपल हुव जॉइंट एंड बिकम एन इज रिप्लेसिबल पार्ट ऑफ आर जर्नी विद दिस पॉडकास्ट थैंक यू